This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. A lot of you in actual fact getting in touch with questions for our next guest. I am delighted now to say a very, very good afternoon as he's joining us from the UK. This man played for England. He is a former Liverpool player, spent four years at Anfield. He spent four years at Spurs. He is in a unique position to offer insight into both Thiago Alcantara and to Gareth Bale. We do say a very good afternoon to Mr Paul Walsh. How are you, Paul? Um, very well, thank you. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining us this evening. So many questions for you. I want to get an actual fact before we talk all things Tiago and Gareth Bale. We're getting loads of questions, loads of lovers of Paul Walsh out there. Fad's been in touch. He wants to know, Paul, what was it like playing with the likes of Gaza and King Kenny? And who was the most talented player that you played with? Uh, I, well, I can never actually say one player, and um, but two of the players you've mentioned, because I was so fortunate to play with so many great players. But um, Ian Rush and Kenny Dalglish certainly come into that. Um, you know, then I, then it was John Barnes, um, and then and then it was Gaza, and then it was Steve Nichol. So I have a top five that you know because there's some great defenders as well. You know, that world class defenders. Stevie Nichol, well, that, you know, he, he's normally the surprise that people go Stevie Nichol. And I go, yeah, because he was absolutely brilliant in any position he played in. But when you're looking at the master combination, it was Russian Dalglish. Um, and Gazza was a total one-off, bit of a fruitcake, but a talented <laughs> one. And, um, you know, it was fun to be around, but it was Bedlam as well, all rolled into one. But a total genius, you know, could win games on his own. So, yeah. yeah, I was very, very lucky to have, you know, have, have spent time with all of those players. It's a heck of a few names that you've just ruled out there. And, and we've been quite fortunate over here, Paul. We've had Teddy Sheringham over in our midst and, you know, he was regaling us yeah. with tales. I mean, we always come back to Gaza and we're getting loads of questions for you. Gaza, Gaza, give us an anecdote. Is there anyone, obviously keeping it clean and all, bearing in the mind we're not past the uh, watershed, but is there, any, well, is there any moment of magic that stands out for you with Gaza? Are you talking football or on the pitch? <laughs> Both, the pitch? Both Paul. Uh, uh, no, no. Actually, Gaza wasn't... Well, I think Gaza, his, his goal against Arsenal in the semi-final yeah. um, of the FA Cup, because what people tend to forget is um, he, 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 he'd been injured. He'd had a hernia. When hernias weren't that frequent, <laughs> and people weren't 100% sure there was, and he, and he hadn't trained for six weeks, came back, played brilliant, banged one in the top corner from 35 yards. Unbelievable. What a moment. Uh, but yeah, me and Gaz had come back from visiting some disabled kids in Jersey, and we stopped at a wimpy bar, and uh, we had we had uh, double cheeseburger and chips. You know, <laughs> the diet weren't quite the same. Back then. <laughs> anyway, we finished up, we, we'd finished up, and um, I said, "Anything else you want?" He went, "I'll have a ninety-nine." So the fella whips him up the biggest ninety-nine chocolate flake. For those over there who don't know, it's a massive ice cream with a chocolate flake in it. And off we went in the car, and we was going up the road, and. Um, uh, he's got this ice cream. It's already all around his face and everywhere. He's at the chocolate flake part. And as I indi- indicated to op- overtake this fella on a bike, who had a full full racing bike, the helmet, the all-in-one gear, um, the, the wind had just caught my eye to the left-hand side, and he flicked the ice cream, and it's flown across the air and, and hit this guy right in the right <laughs> eye socket, and um, the ice cream started dripping down his face. Now, as I'd gone past him, you know, I could look in my rear-view mirror, and all I could see was this bloke with... Um, ice cream rolling down his face and we were crying like a couple of school kids because that's what we were like back then <laughs> and um, we stopped at the traffic lights and um, I'm looking in the mirror I said Gazza that was brilliant he went I oh, know I know I said I don't know why you do things like that and I was looking in the mirror and I said you know the fella's got his head down and he's pedaling like crazy <laughs> anyway we hadn't started moving 
Long, long story short, the, 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 the fella catches up with us. Gaz is like, um, you know, he's a bit frightened now. So he's put the button down on the door. The fella threw his bike away and, um, and started booting our door in. <laughs> and just as the lights changed, we pulled away and, Suddenly, Gaza became all brave again. But, you know, that, 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 was just, that was just a day in the life of him. It was like that every day to some degree um, because he didn't know what to do next. He just didn't know what prank to get up to next. But very talented guy. Um, obviously, a flawed, one of those flawed geniuses because we've followed his life since and it's not been great, is it, a lot of it? No, fair. Listen, we could we could probably ask you questions about anecdotes from about Gaza, Paul, for for the rest of this conversation. But but I suppose we we ought to ask you for for some insight on some big transfer moves that are brewing in two former clubs of clubs of yours. One which has been confirmed, obviously, with uh, um, Thiago Alcantara to Liverpool, and Gareth Bale looks for all the world like he is making a return to Tottenham Hotspur. Let's start with Gareth, if we can, because that's a bit of a yep. punt uh, from from what I mean from what everyone uh, from what everyone is saying in the press it's it's either going to be a genius move or it's a desperation move which which kind of doesn't really help anyone out whether it helps Gareth Bale get out of Real Madrid or whether it really solves the conundrums that are facing Jose Mourinho at Tottenham Hotspur at the moment what's your kind of initial take on on how that move would go and how Gareth would get on if he was to return to Spurs in the Premier League a couple of things really I mean Gareth Bale um, you know Although he would never admit it, has probably wants has got a point to prove. He would want to show Real Madrid what they're missing, and he's got a fantastic record. But he, the manager just doesn't fancy him, does he? No. So he's out. He's on the out, He's on the fringes at Real Madrid. Well, actually, he's, he's out more out than the fringes. But um, they don't want him. Um, he's on an absolute fortune. So yeah, can he come back on a mission to Tottenham, prove a point, and be a massive addition for Jose Mourinho and Tottenham? Yeah, with his ability, of course he can. Where's he going to play? You know, is he going to play off the front? Is he going to play in a wide position coming through? You know, they've got um, they've got some other good players. You know, Son and you know you've got Harry Kane through the middle. Where do you fit him into the equation? Does he come off the right? Does he come? You know, so where will he fit in? You know, it's a great it's a great addition as long as he can fit in in the right mm. place. And, and, and um, you know, that's that's where I'm sort of just pondering where where will he actually operate in the two? Uh, but yeah, someone of that ability and that quality you'd like to think, could make a, a massive impact for Tottenham, you know, in the right mix. And that's Mourinho's job, you know. But as we've seen, because of his, how he likes to stick players in shapes and formations and his rigidity in terms of his formation a little bit, Mourinho, sometimes I just wonder whether, you know, listen, in terms of Gareth Bale's ability, not a problem. Can he fit into Jose Mourinho's framework? That was more that more Mourinho worries me rather than Gareth Bale. Yeah, if I'm honest, completely agree um, with that. But you know, it potentially could be could be a great sign. Let's talk Thiago if we can, Paul, because we've been speaking about Liverpool quite a bit since, of course, they were crown champions. That long wait for a league title. Thiago Alcantara, to me anyway, looks a real good new dimension to that Liverpool midfield. Are you excited by his potential arrival? Well, you know, you know, if you're Jurgen Klopp, you know, he's, he's not ran, ran round in, uh, you know, this summer, you know, even though it's a bit of a strange season and summer and all the rest of it. But, it, you know, where do you improve Liverpool? You know, Wijnaldum's, you know, rumoured to be leaving. We don't know, you know. So what can improve Liverpool? Now, whether Mourinho sees, um, you know, a, a more ball-playing, deep-lying midfielder who can be the playmaker, you know, because he's had, he's had sort of Fabinho in that area a little bit. So, you know, where does that affect? Or is he an alternative to Fabinho? Um, 
Or when Liverpool play at home against a lot of the teams, they have a lot of the ball. So does he need someone with a bit more technical ability to help you know, pick, pick situations off going forward? But listen, you have to be... I think I'm the last person to uh, you know, uh, second-guess Jurgen Klopp's ability to spot a player in terms of what would improve Liverpool. Mm. And he obviously thinks he can. And he's a great addition to that squad. It gives them something slightly different to what they've already got. Um, so, you know, I'm the last person going to second-guess or question anything he does because he's done an absolutely amazing job at Liverpool, you know, winning the title after, you know, 30 years, you know, the Champions League. You know, so, you know, so it suddenly look, looks a great club again. You know, it's always been a great club, but it deserved the success. It's been starved of success and it's brought it back. Yeah, they won it by by such a, a margin as well, Paul. And and I guess it was a bit strange to see that Manchester City were were favoured at least with the bookmakers when it comes to the favourites for this particular Premier League season. But if you think about it, Mikel Arteta looks like he's doing some great work at Arsenal, and they might not challenge for the title, but they they might well be in a position to to make that top four more competitive or that race for the top four. Manchester United may yet sign Jadon Sancho; that they're going to be there or thereabouts. Chelsea have spent a fortune. Do you see it being a more bunched up race? Because I think we're of the kind of mind that it will not be a saunter for either City or Liverpool this year. And it's unlikely to be a two-horse race either in that respect, isn't it? No, yeah, I mean, and that's what we want. Is, is if you're, yeah, taking your allegiances to one side. I mean, you, you want a competitive top six. Um, and, and, you know, everyone's gone, gone all out to try and make it that way. Uh, Chelsea, like I said, brought in a lot of players, but he's got to get them to fit into how he wants them to play. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Frank Lampard. I think he's done great. I wouldn't get carried away with Arsenal at the minute. It's one one game, but mm. um, you know. But like, yeah, you know, everyone's optimistic at the start of the season. I mean, you can only look at it when we're ten games in and see. <laughs> Three weeks in, everyone's pessimistic, games. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. You've only got to lose a couple, and every time everyone says nothing's changed at Arsenal. Or if you're talking about Arsenal specifically, mm. the pressure's on Frank Lampard now. He didn't have no money last year. He's, he's, he's brought through some great young players and now he's bought a, bought a lot of players as well and he's got to make that work. So now there's more pressure on Frank this season where there was a lesser pressure on him and he was still successful. Or It was successful under, under the remit of Chelsea last season. Now there'll be a different outlook this season because they've gone all in with the chips and bought a lot of good players. Um, you know, Klopp didn't have to do a lot. He didn't just change things for the sake of doing it. Um, you know, Man United would like to think they they would improve. They need to improve. Um, I, I don't I don't know in which order it's going to be. You know, Man City will be wounded that they you know they didn't win the title, um, but no one could begrudge Liverpool. They were absolutely phenomenal last year, mm. and um, you know I think I could sit here and give you a top six order. You know, it's just a massive guess at the moment until we see how it unfolds after 10 games. You're not wrong, Paul. Listen, last one from us, and we do thank you for sparing the time to pop on and have a little natter with us this evening. So many questions. Chris, clearly a big Addicts fan because he's loving the fact that you're on the radio this evening. He says, how much, do you ask Paul about how much he owes Charlton for his career, the time he spent there and the grounding that that football club gave you? Do you have fond memories of Charlton? Oh, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I was there from 14, you know, we didn't have academies there, but you used to just train, you know, for 14 years of age, you know, I made my debut at 16. It was it was magical, you know, everything was brand new to me. I've got to tell you, though, they nearly got rid of me at 14 because I wasn't big enough. And, you know, I had to do a lot of work and, and convince a lot of people to keep me, keep me on. Uh, and then, you know, those two years made a massive difference in terms of, you know, my development. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I played 100 games for them, and then they sold me. Uh, but, yeah, I'll always be grateful and thankful to Charlton. 
Um, and I loved it. You know, I loved my time growing up there and getting those hundred games was special. Playing up front with Derek Howells. You know, having that having that experience between sixteen and nineteen and playing those hundred games was what you know the most magical, exciting period of my life. That is incredible. Brilliant. 16 to 19. Paul, listen, bless you, my man. Thank you so much for taking the call this evening. It's been great yeah. having you on. Fingers That's crossed we'll get you again uh, on very soon. But Paul Walsh, for now, thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your Thursday yeah. evening. Yeah, thanks guys. Good Great luck. to have that man on the line. Paul Walsh, formerly of Liverpool, Spurs, throw in Man City, a couple of spells at Pompey, Charlton, England as well. All round good bloke. And he's right there. Top six at this point. Everyone's kind of optimistic, etc. I I got asked this question actually last I night. I would just say that there's more cause to be optimistic about Arsenal than just winning their first game no, against Fulham. FA Cup win and what Mikel Arteta was starting towards. It was they were starting to gel together yeah. discernibly towards the end of last season. I take that point. I wasn't going to say that to Paul, but <laughs> no, he was in his full he's flight. <laughs> he's gone. It's fine. But someone asked me this last night, and it was a bit of a cop out. They said, oh, "Who do you fancy for the title this season?" And we haven't actually given our predictions. I don't no. think on the show. And I actually said, "It's I went, a fool's game." It is. And I actually said that. I said, "I have not been this befuddled when it comes to who I think will win the league in this season." I have no Scooby. Absolutely none. No. And I, and I like that. Let's just see. Let's see. It's boring for the listeners, but hey-ho. Who do you think will win the league? Do let <laughs> no, us know. Look, I mean, it's, you know, you, as he said, there's no point making predictions now. We can't foretell what was going to happen. Did anyone predict a pandemic back in September of last year? <laughs> no, they certainly did not. This is Off Script Extra Time with Chris and Robbie on Dubai Eye 103.8. Join the conversation. A lot of you out there excited for the IPL, the 13th season of it, the 2020 edition. Every single match live in the UAE, Dubai, Abu Dhabi and Sharjah. And one man who I'm sure is like a big kid at Christmas right now, so he is. It is Sam Charnley from It's Just Cricket right here in Dubai. He's on the line now and we say a very good evening to you, Sam. Good evening. Thanks for having me on, man. Don't be silly, Sam. Thank you for taking the time to have a wee natter with us. And listen, how excited are you? Because it is all a bit bizarre, let's be honest. There'll be no fans in this, not for the time being anyway. And fingers crossed, Sam, that may change as we go in the coming weeks. But the IPL is on our doorstep. Excited for the return of it? I think everybody is, mate. Yeah, um, everybody's sort of looking forward to the the start of... uh ball number one and um, looking forward to watching some cricket um, whether it be in the in the stadiums or at home Sam how, how is this the fact that it is going to be played in its entirety in the UAE going to change the nature of the competition and the teams that we're used to see doing well in the IPL because I've been doing a bit of reading and from what I gather the pitches here are much lower scoring than those that we find over in India. And it's there's much more of an onus on running between the wicket here than slogging boundaries, as there is in India. So will that, will that change the playing field, do you think? And will that bring in perhaps teams that haven't really contended in the past that, that maybe will have an opportunity now to, uh, to get their name on the trophy? Yeah, I think overall you've got so many different factors. You've got um, no fans. You've got the fact that um, players have been in lockdown for a long time over in India and then um, there's been overseas players coming from overseas obviously and already been playing even in the last couple of weeks you've got Chris Green um, and all the lads from the West Indies been playing recently uh, in the CPL and then you've got people coming over for doing their um, their international duties so you've got a lot of different um, aspects in, into into who's going to sort of take the title this year um, and I think there's going to be I think it's going to be a little bit more unpredictable than usual. 
Who's the teams, Sammy? Who are you? Ah, not so much the teams. Who are the players? I mean, obviously all the, the, the ones that will, I'm sure, capture the attention. You're Vera Coley's, etc. Who are you particularly looking forward to seeing? I'm looking forward to seeing Stokesy, obviously, as usual. Um, I really think he's got an opportunity to turn the heat up um, as soon as he gets over here and, and starts uh, performing. Uh, Rajasthan Royals, I think they've been a little bit quiet in the last couple of years. I think they've got a, a big one this year. Colcutt Knight Riders, they're, they're there or thereabouts. Um, and then your usual um, suspects that are going to score runs and, and take wickets. Royal Challengers Bangalore, they've always been a bit of a head scratcher because you wonder with that kind of batting lineup how they haven't done better in the past, given the emphasis, Sam, on batting in 2020. And, and really, when you do see matches where the bowlers just look hapless out there and they're yeah. being slogged all over the place for about 15 runs and over, do you have a theory as to why RCB have, uh, have just not quite done it on the big stage? No, to be honest, no, it's a difficult one. I think maybe... Um, you, you might need to look a bit deeper into um, where, where when they pick their players or where they're coming from. And and I think if you look at other teams uh, and some of the other teams, uh, not saying RCB have done it particularly badly, but um, some of the other teams, their their brand, their um, the way the, what they stand for and how good sort of the team environment feels. Mm. And I don't know how, how well that's built with RCB in particular, um, but some, sometimes that does have a, a part to play when, you, when you've got a new coach that, that doesn't see players regularly, um, only gets a couple of weeks with them, if that, most of the time. Um, it's very difficult to, to jail players together and, and maybe they just haven't quite got the mix right. Um, that could be the reason, but apart from that, it's a difficult one when you look at their uh, their names on paper. Yeah, we've been talking about it all week long as well, Sam. Of course, very different for the players. The players are, I guess, segregated from the rest of society. They're in their little bubbles, whether that be at the hotel, the training ground, or as the case will be, kicking off on Saturday, the, the stadiums. I know you're quite close with a lot of the players that are partaking in this particular tournament, Chris Green being one of those at the Calcutta Knight Riders. What are the players telling you, Sam? I'm sure you've been on the WhatsApps. What are they telling you as to what amenities? How are they getting on? I guess more mentally in their little bubbles. Yeah, I mean, I think it's different for everybody. So you've got the lads over, obviously, in the West Indies um, that have they've just finished the CPL. Um, so they've they've had some ball game. They've, they've they've played and they've also done their quarantines in their hotels over um, over that side of the world. Obviously, then you've got your your internationals, India and uh, sorry, um, England and. Um, Australia coming in in the next couple of days, so they'll be a little bit late off the off the plane, if you like. Um, they've got to go through their seven days quarantine. I think mentally it's quite difficult. Um, I think they've had everything available to them. I know players have had rowing machines, bikes, everything in their hotel rooms, and, and uh, some certainly some nice uh, hotels that they've been staying at as well. So, you know, I think they've had. The situation has been made slightly easier for them, but by no means easy. Yeah. How's the academy, Sam? Gonna? How's it's just cricket going to? I'll say capitalise on the presence of the IPL. We've got this incredible tournament, which is it's here, but it's not here in a way because it's difficult to interact with this behind closed door event. But are there plans for it's just cricket to to really make the most of the fact that we've got this amazing event on our doorstep? Yeah, I think really it's just about making sure that players are aware that these events happen in the UAE. 
Um, kids can get access to these events on, on normal circumstances. Some of our players in the past have been net bowlers and things like that. And really just making sure that our kids are watching cricket and learning as much as they possibly can from it. It's a, it's a fantastic tournament um, and it's fantastic for our kids to be able to sort of say that um, it happens in grounds um, yeah. that they live in. And how are the kids doing, Sam? Of course, we caught up with you kind of at the real height of all things COVID-19, or at least maybe coming down from the height of it. How are things going? It's just cricket moving forward? We, we're, um, we're two weeks back in. Um, schools have got back um, kicking again, and we, we're doing really well. Um, kids are back in really positive um, signs for players playing. We start our Emirates Cricket Board tournament in two weeks' time. Um, and We've been granted permission to play games. So we're, we're, we're cracking on and, um, and just obviously, obviously uh, with all major tournaments, Wimbledon, everybody t- picks up a tennis racket. Um, IPL, everybody will be um, swinging yeah. a cricket bat around. Yeah, so it's, it's always good news for us. Yeah, it absolutely is. It makes your job that little bit easier, I'm sure, for the next couple of months. Bless you, Sam. Listen, it's a Thursday night. I appreciate, we appreciate you picking up the phone and having a wee natter with us tonight. Thank no. you, Samuel. Enjoy the first match on Saturday and I'm sure we'll catch up with you again very soon. No problem. Anytime, boys. Good catch you later. stuff. The voice of Sam Charnley. It's just cricket. Him and his two team doing sterling work on all things cricket, youth cricket, grassroots cricket right here in the UAE. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.